And like I say, this is a scripture that's not new to us. And uh, it's not the only scripture I want to particularly look at tonight, but it's the one that kind of stirred me to get where I'm headed. And uh, so uh, let's take a look at this. I, I think everyone kind of senses that uh, we're well uh, on our way to the midnight hour. And I think in, in sensing that, um, you know, it, it makes us take a second look at who we are and where we are. And, and that being the case, let's look at this together. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So <laughs> our job is what? We better be doing his will, right? Many will say to me, not, you know, again, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name? That's uh, pretty heavy stuff right there. And done many wonders in your name. And then I will declare, I will declare to them. In other words, he's going to make it known to them. I never knew you. Depart from me. You who practice lawlessness. Let's pray. Father, you know our hearts. You know where we are. You know, Lord God, how we need to take in your word and understand your word as we prepare for these last days. And Lord, we're trusting you tonight that you'll be the one who will enlighten each of us, Father God, into where and what you want to lead us into that we might be prepared for that day when you know, that testing might come our way. And we'll be, Lord, your people. We will stand firm for you. We've seen those who have done it in other countries, Lord. I know you'll prepare us and we'll be ready when the time comes because we trust you and we know that you love us and you care for us. This last couple, or this, this last week, Monday and Tuesday, Joyce and I spent a, a good bit of time with... Uh, family and friends of uh, her uncle, and her uncle passed on and, and to his eternal reward. And I want to say the comments I'm making really has little to do with him, but it has more to do with what I heard in, in that um, it, room of visitation particularly, but also some in the room when, when we had the funeral uh, on Tuesday. As I listened to these conversations, and, and most of them were talking about him, but it was the opinions of the people that really caught my attention. And, and it says, I was reminded that we humans have some very strange, and I underline and put that in capital, understandings of life here on earth now and eternal life to come. We're a mess. And, and as a whole... We're talking about people who would consider themselves, I mean, I'm sure ma many of them were in church this morning. They would consider themselves to be a part of the kingdom. And as I listen to that, um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, Lord, what do we do? How, you know, what, 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 what do we need to take care of? And then some of you may know back some time ago, like long time ago, Joyce and I came to Zanesville to have a boy's home, and one of those boys is a pastor in Wisconsin, in Madison, Wisconsin. So he calls Friday night and talks about a movement that I don't know anything about. You may know something about. It's got to be good because it's called organic. And as he explained it to me, it looks to me like, it, you know, if it's something that's written in here, then it's not a part of their doctrine. And it, it, just everything that he mentioned goes against what Christ has taught us by his spirit. And these people not only believe it, they're out pushing the issue. They even came to his church to straighten out some people in his church so that you know, they would realize that all of this they're talking about really isn't true. You know, it, you just need to live life and you know as I was thinking about that I, I would like to go to Ephesians 1 um, I'm always intrigued by Ephesians they, you know to me that was probably 
the, the church that was the most um, mature, if there, you know, a church that, that Paul had and the church where Timothy was. And Paul kind of reminds us, uh, I'm in verse 1 of chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and, you know, and certainly, um, I would say this other church, they, they, they didn't believe in any kind of leadership or, or anything, anyone that God would appoint. And, and then he makes, Paul makes a very important statement. He says, to the saints who are in Ephesus and the faithful in Christ Jesus. So we're talking to God's people, right? He's, he's, he's written this letter to God's people, and he says, grace to you. And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then I want to I look at what he says we have as being God's people. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us, how? With every spiritual blessing. Now who did that? That's not something that Jim and I worked on, right? <laughs> That's something God gave us. Now... He asks, and as we're going to look at, he asks us to respond correctly to that, but, but God did this for us. This is how he's blessed us. When we give our heart to Christ, when we become born again, at that point, at that point, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now think about that. That's what God did for us. And he also in verse 5 says, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. We're God's sons and daughters. We're God's people when we become born again. According to the good measure of his will. It was his will. To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. And I was amazed at all the discussion I heard of people exalting what they do. People exalting how good they are. People exalting what they are. <laughs> I, I don't want to exalt what I really am, if you know what I mean. And so, as I looked at that, and as I looked at of what Paul was saying we have, I'd like to go a little further in chapter 1 over to verse 15 because there, I think, is, is the prayer that I like to pray for those who I know are people who are either seeking or people who have come into the kingdom. He says, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the, in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. So he's saying, you know, that, that this... You're, you're one who's wanting to be a part of the kingdom, and I do not cease to give thanks for you. And that's one of the first things we need to do. We need to thank God for who he's bringing into the kingdom. But I make mention of you in my prayers, and here's what he mentions about me, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. And as I listed Monday... I don't think that was prayed over some of these people because I sure didn't hear it. You see what he's saying? The spirit of wisdom and revelation of what? Of the knowledge of him. People have a lot of knowledge, but a lot of it's secular. And they've brought that secular into the kingdom and somehow that makes it right. And it doesn't make it right. It's not right. Let's read on. And that the eyes of your understanding would be being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of, your, of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance for the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Now, we could spend a couple weeks there, but I, just, I want you to just kind of mark that and look at that once in a while. Because he's saying that's what we need to pray for people. And then, you know, that, that being the case, <laughs> I'm also reminded if Ephesians is the most mature church, 
Probably the one that was the least mature was what? Corinth. Let's go back to Corinthians 1. There's a problem there that we want to talk about a little bit tonight, and, and that, that's where I would like to, to go. And, and I'm hoping that the, the groundwork that I've, that I've laid is, is not a full foundation, I know that, but I hope you see where I'm, what I'm trying to build on. You know, we, we want God to say that, well done. And yet, in the midst of that, I find a lot of people who are saying, I did well. Regardless of what God says, I did well. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ to the will of God, to the church of God, which is in Corinth, and to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Again, speaking to Christians, right? These are God's people. Called to be saints with all who in every place call in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Grace to you and peace from God. And then he says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. Again, what we have came from where? It came from God. It came from Christ Jesus, didn't it? It isn't something that we are developing. It's something God has given us. That you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance. He's talking about you know, the, the gifts of the Spirit, and which again is a... Another whole thing, and even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, that so that you come short in no gift. So here we have a group that are very. Um, God's given them the same thing He gave the Ephesians. Okay, so that's where we have at this point. We have two churches, but I want to go over to verse um, eighteen. Because there's a problem that starts happening. And it's the same problem we see happening in the world right now. And it's the same problem will happen if you meet somebody on the, the street who wants to discuss with you some of the Supreme Court decisions. This, this will come up. And that is, for the message of the cross is what? Foolishness, or if you will, stupidity. In other words, they're, they're saying there is nothing to this. It's okay. What the Supreme Court did was right. They deserve to be able to love each other, right? Let's read on. The foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's what? The power of God. Now, you're going to have to ask God how to handle that power, but that power God has given, in, has given to us and, and then he goes ahead and quotes, For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. Now, I don't care whether you're a judge, attorney, lawyer, or just some old hillbilly who really thinks they know it all. But your knowledge, if you feel like you're the wise one, is worth what? Nothing. And bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Now, this message of the cross, and I wrote this down because as I was looking to commentaries, I, I liked how this guy put it. Antagonism exists between the worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. Have you ever experienced it? Oh, <laughs> we're the craziest people on earth, right? And God's... God's given us all this, and we're the crazy ones. Now, figure that out. God works most wisely and powerfully and directly opposite of human expectations and understanding. Godly wisdom and human wisdom are on two different roads. And, and they, when, when they meet, we're button heads. I think, you, you know, again, you need to ask God, is this somebody who's searching for truth or is this somebody who just wants to butt heads? And if it's somebody who just wants to butt heads, what's, what's he tell Timothy?
it's not something we want to we want to go any further with. Now I, I want to go to verse 26 then, because what was happening, if you will, in maybe I better go back take you back to verse 12 because I'm you know I've been dealing with this a while and I don't want to leave you in the dark here Paul what he's really getting at in Corinth they were having little house meetings and one house was full of people who said I'm of Paul another house is full of people who said I'm of Apollos another said hey I'm of Christ and so each of them had their, if you will, their hero, right? And we need to be careful. We don't have heroes of earthly people. We need to be careful. God, God will take away heroes. And some of you have been around a while. Some of your heroes have fallen, right? And sometimes that's for our benefit, too. And so he's saying... Now I say to you that each of you says, I'm of Paul, or I'm of Paulus, or I'm of Cephas, or I'm of Christ. And he asks a question, is Christ divided? So if you will, to me, this is the problem. This is the Corinthian problem. But it's not just a Corinthian problem. It's a human problem, isn't it? Because all we have to do is go to little old Zanesville, and we've got over 100 churches for what reason? Because I'm a Paulist, you know. I'm, and you name it, it doesn't take very much to get a new group started. And I, and I, I could say some things there, but I won't. Let's move on. So, what I want to, you know, what, what I want us to look at then is, is that problem and how people, in in their human knowledge have this all psyched out. And it's no wonder that, that he, he's saying, just because you say, Lord, Lord, you're not necessarily going to make it to heaven. Because we have some messed up thinking. Now, as I was thinking about this, in verse 2 of Corinthians, and then you can go to chapter 3, verse 1, He's, he says, he reminds us he's talking to brethren. And as I was uh, looking at, uh, you know, at, at, again, I'm, I'm trying, the, the whole thing that I'm wanting to look at is, you know, what kind of revelation can I get about uh, th th this situation? Just because you say, Lord, Lord, doesn't mean you're going to make it to heaven. And, and this uh, commentary was reminding us that there are three different categories of, of people. We use... I've, I've said there's either the saved or the unsaved. And that's true, except, how about these people? Who are they? Are they saved? He calls them brethren. But he also says they're what? He says they're carnal. Now, so to me, there's, there's this natural man, if you will, somebody not born again. And, and, and I think all of us have had the opportunity to discuss some things with them. They're the unregenerate. They're devoid of God's spirit. And, and they really have no appreciation or understanding of the purpose of the gospel and what's here. And they need their eyes, of their understanding open. And only God can do that. And so we got the natural man. We also have the spiritual man. That's the one who's born again, regenerate, possessing spiritual maturity as seen in the freedom from secular strife. You know, that, that they're, if you will, all together. We're all part of the body of Christ. But then we have the carnal. And, and I'm not sure where God puts this, because I, I really couldn't come up with that statement, but this, this commentary said that's a re, they've been regenerate, and, and it does say they are brethren, but they're living like an unregenerate. And I'm not sure, but what that's what I, part of what I was overhearing Monday night. Believers who have childish ways. Believers who, if you will, have ways that are okay to the human, 
thought, but they're not God's ways. And do you want to be in that crowd? I'm not sure I do. Now, one of the commentaries says that they're going to they're gonna make it to heaven. They won't have any rewards. I'll, I'll leave that up to God. But I know that Jesus said when he was here, just because you say, Lord, Lord, you're not necessarily going to make it to heaven. So this is an immature Christian who lives more by the human opinion than by the wisdom of Christ. God help us to not be that person. Because I don't know if that's the one that fits into that category that Christ Jesus is talking about, but I'd say it's, it, there probably is, you know, some connection there. So I think the question is, based on, on, on what's uh, occurring there and he's, when he's talking about the carnal, how do we live by Christ? He's, he's saying it's by Christ's power. How do we live like that? How does that happen? Let's go to chapter 2, verse 6. However, we, Paul, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, not yet, not the wisdom of this age, and again, human wisdom compared to, to God's wisdom, nor of the rulers of this age. <laughs> we got some strange rulers, too. Have you noticed? Who are coming to what? That ain't much. They're coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. God ordained that, and that's what we want to speak, and that's what Paul's speaking to us, which none of the rulers of this age knew. If they had known, they had not crucified the Lord of glory. But it is written, eyes not seen, nor ear heard, nor entered in the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. And I think even yet we have little understanding of what God's prepared for us. Remember reading all those four verses back there in Ephesians of all the things he's done for us? I don't understand that totally. How do we get that? By, by, you know, by going through God's word. So let's... And verse 10 is where I want to end up here. But God has revealed them to us through the Spirit. The only way that we, our knowledge can be added to is by the Spirit of God. And it's through His Spirit. That, and, and it says the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. And I think God can make known to us. I know God can make known to us where we're off if we'll, if we'll ask Him for that. He's not going to uh, allow us to be orphans. He's not going to allow us to be out there thinking we're okay if we're really searching his wisdom. And, and I would just say to you, you know, that's, to me, that, that's important. I, I trust the Spirit of God. I want to go to Acts 19.13. I hadn't really thought about this until today as I was preparing for this. And, and, I, and all of a sudden, I was reminded of these uh, seven Young men, did I say 19.13? Acts 19.13. Well, maybe we ought to back up to 11. Talking about Paul, Acts of the Apostles. Now, God works unusual miracles by the hand of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons, and, you know, we've heard pastor talk about that were brought from his body is sick and the diseases left them evil spirits went out of them and then some of the itinerant Jewish exorists took it upon themselves to call of the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits saying we exercise you by the, by the Jesus who Paul preaches so can you say, Lord, Lord, and not know the Lord? Hmm. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And you have to love this. It just, 
Luke just had to put this in there, right? And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Isn't that amazing? Even the spirits know who God knows. <laughs> then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them. One man, how many of them was there? And he did what to them? Overpowered them, prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. You better know God if you're doing that stuff, right? And then God's so good. This became known both to the Jews and the Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. God is going to do strange things in this last day so that his name will be magnified and lifted up. Be ready. It's going to happen. Verse 18, And many who believed came confessing, and telling their deeds. Jack Hayford, in one of his commentaries, said, Jesus warns about self-deception. And I really felt like I, I heard some of that, Monday. A mere verbal profession of lordship without obedience to the will of God. Lordship without obedience. Lordship without obedience. It's even possible for a self-deluded person to exercise a spectacular ministry. Now think about this. Using the authority of the scriptures and the name of Jesus, God will do miracles even though they're not walking in a genuine, obedient discipleship. think that's going to happen in these last days? Uh-huh. I don't think there's any doubt we're going to see people, again, not everybody's going to be treated like the seven sons were because the enemy is an angel of light, right? I, I, would, I want to go back to um, Corinthians again, chapter 3 this time. Paul um, was a very practical man, and he uses three very um, understandable illustrations that these people in Corinth understood so that they would come out of this secularism that they were into. And um, but let's start in... Uh, well, I think I'll have to go back to five. Who then is Paul... And who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believe, as the Lord Jesus gave, as the Lord gave to each one. In other words, what those ministers did really came from where? It came from the Lord. And he said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. And again, if we're not careful, what do we look at? We look at the spectacular and who did it, right? Not realizing that the spectacular really was done by, and it was done by, it, it can be done by God through ungodly men, which is really amazing to me. And, but, I, I, you know, I've heard of a couple examples. It was totally, totally hard for me to accept at the time. But again, as, as Dr. Hayford says, it, it, ha it has happened. And then, ministers the Lord gave to each one. And he's talked about it, planted. God gave the increase. Now, he who plants and he who waters are one. Each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. And then he reminds us that Paul, <laughs> you know, Apollos, Cephas, but I could name everybody in here, is what? We are God's fellow workers. And then he says, again, these are people of the soil. 
you are God's field and you are God's building. Things that they understood. Now, they're talking about watering, planting, watering, and the increase. And, you know, it, th- th- as you think about that, um, I'm dealing with a, someone who doesn't have a lot of uh, experience gardening this year. And she's totally um, surprised at how long it takes for certain things to happen and how quick some other things happen. And, and God takes situations and he grows them just as plants grow out of the water out, you know, out, and out of the soil that's been watered. And, and I, you know, I think of my sheep and, and you know, they're, they're, they're so small and so helpless, but you give them some milk from mom and get them on their feet in two hours, they'll be running from a coyote. And, and, and that's kind of the way we are as Christians, right? We start out almost helpless, but God builds in us. And that's the example that he's using. And he's encouraging them that, you know, just because you have been born again, you're a child. You're not a fellow minister yet. Yes, you're born again. But there are things that God wants to build in us. And just as he's talking about the field or the garden, he's also then in that same verse talks about a building. And you go down to verse 10, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation. Paul was there first. He laid the foundation. If you ever build a building, if you don't have the right foundation, it don't take long to find out what's going to happen, does it? And, and I'm sure some of you have seen all the horror that's happened over in some of the earthquake zones where they don't have a good foundation. They don't have you know, good building practices. And, and it's just total ruin. And, and, and that's what he's saying to us. If we're not careful, we're going to be one of those who ends up totally ruined just because we feel we've said, Lord, Lord, so we're okay. No, God's building in us. He's, he's growing in us. He said, I've laid the foundation, another builds on it, on it, but let each one take heed how he builds. So we're all working together, but we want to make sure that we're working together with the right kind of building materials. And, and the building materials are where? In God's Word. We need to make sure that's what we're doing. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, stubble, each each one's work will become clear. For the day, capital D, will declare it because it will be revealed how? So it may look like we're doing pretty good. It may look like that one who cast out devils was doing something great, but there will come a time where the fire of God will reveal what it's made of and, and, and what, the, you know, what has occurred there. So it, he, he's telling us, the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which is, he has built on, it endures, he will receive a award. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet as through fire. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy which temple we are. I want to go one more place. Let's go over to chapter 4. Paul's teaching these people what? You can't have a divided church. You can't be people divided. But as God's people, we need to all be one. And he's, he's telling them, you can't be of me and Apollos and Cephas. He's saying... God's done all this. He's put it together, and, and we all need to be God's people. Verse 1, chapter 4. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ, as stewards of the mystery of God. And then he makes a, 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 a real interesting statement to me, one, one that I really want us to kind of zero in on tonight. Moreover, it's required in stewards that one be found faithful. 
Now he's using that word steward. That's not something in America we use a lot. But basically, who is that person? That, that was, uh, it, you, you remember um, yeah, when Joseph went to Egypt? Remember when, when he, had, he, had, he was right under the house, the, the head of the house, and he, he was, if you will, number two. He was the steward. Now, as I, as I looked up that word, that's one who was between the householder and the household. He had, if you will, his main task was making sure the household was fed. Uh, there is a fiscal responsibility in that. Uh, he had full charge of the household. Everyone under him had to, had to, he, they had to go through him in order to get to the householder, the, the, the owner. This man was, and, and it was usually men, this man was accounted only, accountable only to the owner. But then he makes another, right? You know, as I, as I looked up the word, right at the end it said, he dispersed only what he was given. So if the owner didn't give him the permission or didn't give him the material to disperse to the household, it wasn't done. He did what the householder wanted him to do. And so that's the steward he's talking about. And... It, you know, as, as you as you look at that, um, I was I was reminded of a verse in Peter. Let's look at. Uh, you keep your finger there. We're going to come back there. First Peter four ten. We can't get around this by saying I'm not a steward, because. You know, as you look in 1 Peter 4.10, Peter, who, you know, we, we could talk at length about who he was and how he'd gotten to the point that he was when he wrote this. But he says, as each one of you has received a gift. And I, I hate to go in and just pick out a verse, but, you know, hopefully you can read back through there. But as each one of us has received a gift, minister it Where? to someone else, right? So if we're not careful and God gives us gifts, what do we want to do sometimes? We'll stuff it in the pocket. We won't use it for God's glory and he wants us to use it for others. And then he's, and, and the reason I wanted to mention this is because he said, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So he, again, he's talking about being a steward as being the, the one if you will, between those in the household, and, and I'm reminded again in Ephesians 4 where he talks about giving pastors and teachers and apostles and evangelists. You know, he's talking about all those people, and they're there for what purpose? To equip us, right? And why are they equipping us? You're looking at me like you're, I'm pulling this out of the air. Let's go. Yep. Uh, four, I don't remember exactly. The, Ephesians 4. Eight, how about 11? 4.11. And he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastor teachers. But it doesn't stop there. We put a verse there, but why did, why did he give those? For the perfecting or equipping of the saints... For the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And so, we all have that responsibility, you know, that, that, there, that he's talking about there. And so, God's entrusted gifts to us, and, and our job is to use those in strengthening and encouraging fellow believers. So, let's look at this verse um, two of chapter four of Corinthians. I'm back. I've left the other. I'm back there. Moreover, it's required in stewards that one be found faithful. So, if 
it's one thing to be, if you will, a servant. That's more like a slave. You're, you're operating under somebody else's authority, but you're doing exactly what they ask. That's like a bondman that's bound to this person, if you will. The person you're bound to is that steward. And, but here he's saying it's required in stewards that one be found faithful. And when I saw that word required, I'm thinking, uh, okay, let's, let's take a look at this. And I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm Greeky sometimes. I want to, you know, what are you, what are you trying to say to me there? And, and so let, let's, uh, I, w- I want to go clear to the end because I thought that was the easy one to start with. He says we're to be found how? Faithful. Now, so I looked that up and you know what it said? You know what faithful means? Faithful. Kind of thought it might. And, uh, but it also elaborated a little bit. It means trustworthy, reliable, dependable, true, and unfailing. Now, we all know that we fail and we can ask God's forgiveness and take care of that. But we're to be found faithful. And... <laughs> Then if you look right before faithful, it says what? We're to be found faithful, right? Now, if you've got somebody working for you, and you want to know whether they're faithful or not, how do you find out? We give them a task. See what they do, right? Pretty simple. <laughs> God ever given you a task? But that word in the Greek has a little deeper meaning than what we might think. It, it says to find, to discover, but by careful observation. Now, um, if you will, what it says to me that God's carefully observing me to see my reaction and actions and I was thinking about that it, um, it, it's how I treat people how I respond to pressure how I do, handle distractions but it just as importantly how well did I finish the assignment he gave me now that's not too difficult for me to accept because when I worked for secular people I had that same they, they checked me out they, they, they went you know <laughs> they made sure I wasn't pulling wool over their eyes you know that it, it, we, we had a very elaborate system to check back through now after you'd been there a while and knew well, you were found faithful that wasn't quite as strong as it was the beginning but in the beginning even to the point that when I started I was on probation guess why now I can get rid of me right moreover it's it is required in stewards that one be found faithful now um, God I, I would just say that God watches over us when, when I look at a steward see I'm looking something higher than a servant and God watches over me for a long period of time and in many different circumstances and like I say when I first read that the word really stuck out was required and um, I found out that's a legal term okay it denotes a judicial investigation now, when you think of a judicial investigation, what do you think of? Some time, and, and you're looking into the details, right? So, he's saying to us that, you know, it's kind of an intense, thorough searching. He, he's putting you, have, have any of you had any, any pressure this week? Have you had any where you felt like you were being tried by fire? Guess why? He's got something else he wants you to do. 
He's moving you. Now, I'd like to just mm, back away from that some. You know, I'm getting... But he, it's, it's, so this legal term, if you will, it's an intense, thorough searching. And, and as I thought of that, let, let me put, it, uh, put those thoughts in there. It says, moreover, God is making a concentrated, exhaustive, and thorough search in pursuit of stewards who are found to be faithful. And then, you know, my mind gets to racing. Let's go to Matthew 25. <laughs> Another scripture that you've seen many times and talked about many times. Matthew 25, I think we'll start 14. You there? The kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling in a far country who called his servants this time, Okay and delivered his goods to them and to one he gave five talents now I would just say to you that this, these talents appear to be money and as you think of that these, these are probably people that he's looking at to move into stewards okay so there's, there's a testing going on here to check out our stewardship and to one he gave five talents another two another one each one according to that person's own ability and immediately went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more, but he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. Now, it's one thing to plant seeds, another thing to plant money jars. It just doesn't work, okay? So he planted his money in the ground Okay, after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received the five talents came and brought five others, saying, Lord, you delivered me five. Look, I've gained five more besides them. I know you can read, but... And the Lord said to them, well done. What? Good and faithful. There's that word again, servant. You were faithful over a few things. Guess what? I'll make you rule over many. And then he said, enter into the joy of the Lord. I want to ask you something. Is there anything in that that hints that he knows that person? Remember our scripture we started with? I never knew. I think he knows this person. He's tried this person, and they've responded. Verse 22, he also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more. The Lord said to him, what? Exactly the same words. He said the one that had five. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful or few. I'll make you rule over many. Enter into the joy of the Lord. And then the guy went to the garden, dug up his jar, and he said, then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I know you as a hard man. And I didn't want to lose this money, see. You reap where you've not sown. That's a pretty price statement to make to your boss. And you gathered where you've not scattered seed. So I got afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look. There you have what is yours. Did a good job, right? Didn't lose a thing. The Lord answered and said it to him. You wicked and lazy servant. Faithful? No. Slothful. You know that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seeds. So you ought to deposit my money in the bank and at least at my coming you could receive back my own with interest. Therefore take the town from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given. And he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And I really didn't go any deeper into that. But I think those, those two guys, he knew. God knew. And I, and I would say, you know, I realize it's, you know, it's a parable. But I think Jesus is, 
helping us to understand what he meant by knowing those people. And so here we have a, a servant, a slave, who's doing what God has asked him to do. And he gave him more responsibility. You don't want more responsibility? <laughs> well, get a peanut butter jar and bury it. Okay? You won't get any more. What was it? Wicked and what? Slothful. Okay? So I think the question is, how does God see me? How does he see you? Isn't that the question? And I think that's what, what you know, we, we want him to, uh, I want to make sure that he knows, that, that, that I know how he sees me. Because if God's watching, let us take a serious look at ourselves to see what he's finding. How we do things, what promises we made, and the seriousness with which we obey him. Right. I'm, I'm going to kind of leave it there and trust the Spirit of God to take that and let you uh, let him deal with you about it uh, where you are. I know um, <laughs> my pants have been kicked a little bit and um, I, I wouldn't want to keep you from getting that either if, if that's what you need. But let me ask you something. What is your major assignment God's given you recently that maybe you're working on or you haven't done yet? And um, let's, let's kind of kill the lights and um, if you would um, get, get us some um, praise music. And, and again, I, I want to open up the altars. If there's something God's given you to do, you have some work assignment, maybe it's a relationship assignment, seems like, I get a few of those. Maybe it's some personal issue that he's working on. But remember, God said what about his church? He said, I will build the church, right? And so we as God's people, we, we might be helping someone else uh, understand some things, but you know, we're his vessels. But if you will, he's the one. He's the one who's building the church. And we need to, uh, I think the goal tonight is to respond to that assignment because I want to make sure that God doesn't say I never knew you and, I'm, and I think you wouldn't be here tonight if you didn't have that same heart so let's ask God what is it that you're, you're saying to me that you want me to do so that I can be found faithful God wants us to know him and he wants, and we want him to know us, right? God wants us to know him, and we want him to know us.